0: In this next audio recording, we're going to hear a conversation between Timothy Chappell, the course author for this book, and Peter Kale, who's fellow and tutor in philosophy at St Peter's College, Oxford, about Hume's discussion of the argument from design.
1: Peter, one thing that you encounter as soon as you open Hume, uh, the Dialogues Concerning Natural Religion, is that you're dealing with an 18th century text, and it's written in a very different way from modern texts. People nowadays don't have sentences that run on for paragraphs. They don't write in such a flowery way. Somebody might find
2: this, all this, very off-putting. How would you encourage a student who felt like that? After some practice, you can actually come to appreciate someone who is actually a very, very elegant stylist in the English language. You may actually come to enjoy reading Hume far more than many modern philosophers.
1: So Hume in the Dialogues Concerning Natural Religion is writing dialogues. Why do you think he does that?
2: My own view is that Hume is trying to um, dramatise an ideal philosophical exchange whereby there's a very animated discussion, but uh, it's genteel, there's a strong personal appreciation for each uh, of the persons concerned and in some sense doesn't come to a complete determinate or dogmatic conclusion.
0: Well, let's get on then to the argument from design. What is the argument as advanced by Cleanthes?
2: Well, it rests on the following idea that something we identify as an effect, we tend to think its causes must be similar to effects like it. Now, let me explain. If you see some water, puddle-like form of water on the pavement, then in principle you assume, well, I've seen rain bringing about those puddles in the past. So... I assume from the principle that like effects have like causes, that when I see another puddle, I assume that the kind of cause that brought it about was similar to that of rain. Now, if you then look at the structure of the world, it's a very complex organisational structure that is in many sense like an artefact. But our experience of what brings about artefacts, the causes of artefacts, is that of intelligence. So, Cleanthes, on the idea that like effects have like causes, argues that given this kind of complexity, we must assume that the cause of that complexity is like that of the cause of artefacts, which is intelligence. Right. So, complicated object, designer,
1: that's the inference from the effect to the cause. And the world, too, is a complicated object. That's right. So, it, too, must have a designer. Absolutely. Well... One question about an argument like that, of course, is that these relations aren't invariable. There are many ways of causing puddles. I have a puppy, which is a reliable cause of puddles. If you have a fire hydrant that you knock the top of, as they always seem to be doing in New York, you can cause a puddle that way. So, given a puddle, why do you have to assume that there was rain before? And again, given an artefact, why do you have to assume that there was a designer before?
2: Well, uh, that's an interesting question, and that's one of, the, one of the issues that's discussed in the dialogues. The issue is the extent to which the effect, namely the complexity, is like that of an artefact. Now, the particular example you had is you talked about a puddle, but, of course, there are puddles and puddles. Some puddles have a particular watery kind and occur uh, outside. Some puddles are a raw yellow colour and tend to... Uh, occur indoors, or can occur indoors. So one of the things that uh, is under discussion in the dialogues is the extent to which the natural world is really like an artefact. And one of the things that's that's pushed is, well, in some respects it's like an artefact, but in many, many others it's not like an artefact. There are a number of different objections to applying that, and if I may, I will start.
0: Yes, take us through then what the objections are.
2: Well, the first thing is... If you look at the uh, the sense in which uh, the world is an artefact, the like effects, like causes, principle doesn't give you all that you might want out of a conception of God. One thing that Hume uh, says later on in the dialogues is that it's impossible to infer from the structure of the world as we know it the moral attributes of God. So, for example... Uh, we all are familiar, sadly enough, with how much uh, natural evil there is in the world. and Typically, philosophers of religion have tried to reconcile the presence of such natural evil with the idea that God is wholly benevolent. Now, Hume's take on this is, is rather different because it's not a matter of reconciling one with the other. It's rather saying, well, look, um, nothing in the structure of the world suggests... Uh, that the, whatever the cause of the universe is, that it must be benevolent. It simply says, well, there may be a cause, but it doesn't in any sense whatsoever suggest that that cause must be benevolent. So if Cleanthes tries
1: to set up the argument from design, Philo will hit back with the problem of evil. Yes.
0: So that's objection one.
2: That's objection one.
0: What's his next objection? Well,
2: let's suppose that it's sufficiently like an artefact. Another traditional view of God is that there's one and only one God. But Philo points out that our experience of designs of, and building of artefacts often involves more than one person. Uh, ships are made by teams rather than, as it were, a particular person. So nothing, again, nothing in the alleged uh, analogy between artefacts and structure points to uniquely to a single God.
1: So here it sounds almost as if the analogy is doing too much work.
2: I think that's a nice way of putting it.
1: You might say that if you see God's relation to the world as analogous to the relation of a builder to a house, then you ought to conclude that God has lots of attributes that builders have. Maybe God drives a white van, for example. (laughs) That
2: seems to be taking the analogy too far. I think that's right. There's also then a second way uh, that, that the argument is attacked, which is to press the extent to which there genuinely is an analogy here and to press... Uh, what we were discussing earlier, the like-effects-like-causes principle. So it seems initially plausible. You say, well, there's something really complex. Our experience of the causes of this complexity tends to be uh, that of intelligence. However, here's something that's very, very complex, an egg. And an egg is brought about by a chicken. But... It's a mistake then to think that, as it were, it's designed by the chicken. It's rather that it's a complex structure that's brought about by biological growth and not intelligence. But now we have a problem. Um, the argument initially started by saying, look, every time we, we see complexity, well, we, we recognize in some instances the causes of complexity must be intelligence. But now, well, in other instances, it isn't. So it just depends. But now we get to this spectacularly single instance, namely the causes of order of the universe. And our principle of inference, namely like effects, like causes, seems to be something that uh, it's very difficult to know that it's applicable in this particular instance. Why? Because the particular instance is so singular and such a one-off. All indications are is that we're artificially stretching that principle of inference. We have no ways of compar- comparing what the causes of the universe were with other, other instances. So Hume leaves us with the
1: thought that there's probably something in the argument from design, just not very much.
2: I think that's right, but you also have to bear in mind that uh, he also says that the cause and causes of the universe probably bear some remote analogy to the rotting of a turnip. Three paragraphs.
0: <laughs> so he didn't hold the argument in very high regard.
2: I think that's right. Peter Kale, thank you. Okay.
1: From the Open University. For more information, go to
0: www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.